Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the book of Colossians. And as we study your word, send your Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher. Change us, Lord. Transform us. Give us new thoughts and new minds that we might be new people in anticipation of the new earth to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a moment after we review a little bit of what we looked at two weeks ago. Colossians chapter 3 is where we will be going here in just a moment, however. And in review, we saw that the Christian is to regard the Bible as the voice of God speaking directly to him. And oh, how important that is to know the word and to be in the word in these last days because there's all kinds of deceptions and the only truth is found right here. That's where we need to be. It is the true foundation for character building and it's the same foundation, the principles contained in the word of God that has always been and will always be. And there's a change that is wrought when the word comes, amen? Only the word, only God can change a person from the inside out. Others, we can change ourselves outside and maybe look good, but only God can change the motives of the very hearts. It's one of the deepest mysteries of the word. We cannot understand it. We can only believe as declared by the scriptures that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We know that in Christ is life. He wants us to have life more abundantly in Christ's life, the light of men. And when he gives us a new life, he also gives us a new lifestyle, right? So when he gives us his life, it changes everything, again, from the inside out. And that's what we look at today. Well, you've been sitting for a little while now. I'll ask you to stand as we read God's word from Colossians chapter 3. So go ahead and stand for me. I've got the King James rendering this morning. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. We won't get through all these verses uh, in our drill down, but we'll get through the first 11, hopefully. Starting with verse 1, the King James. If you then be risen with Christ, or since you then are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above and not on the things of the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you appear also with him in glory. Mortify or kill Therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds 
and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also ye do. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to his holy word this morning. Well, I've got these garments back out here. And because Paul's talking about putting something on and putting something off, right? We're to put this old garment off and put this new garment on. And so we'll be looking at that as we look through the scriptures today, what we put off and what we put on. Sort of big picture, the epistles of Paul are first usually the work of God and then the walk of man. So you have the work of God, the walk of man. And in this case, we have a warning to man in chapter two that we'll look at some this week and a little bit next week. But our response to these things should be this. To the work of God, we are to believe. To the warning to man, we are to beware. And to the walk of man, we are to be. Christ calls us to be what we are in Christ. Another way to look at this would be the gospel, are usually in the first couple chapters, and then the fruit of the gospel in the last couple, or how does the gospel affect my personal life? And that's what Paul gets into in a big way in chapters three and four here in the book of Colossians. But first, I want to go back to the believe part, and I want to look at salvation in five different terms or five different sort of angles, and all of these are beautiful angles. And you could take one, any one, and if you focus too much on it, you'd miss out on the beauty of the other four, and there are more than this. In fact, we're also going to talk about deliverance, which would be a sixth. But we have these terms, justification, reconciliation, which we looked at two weeks ago when I preached in some depth, forgiveness, redemption, and sonship, all different angles of salvation. Now, pay attention to this. This is tremendous, I think. It really blessed my heart as I was studying this. Justification. In justification, the sinner is the accused, but he is declared righteous. So that's us, right? Accused, but declared righteous. In reconciliation, 
The sinner is as an enemy, but becomes a friend. Peace is made with God. In forgiveness, in forgiveness, the sinner is a debtor. Forgive us our debts, right? The sinner is a debtor, and the debt being paid is forgotten. These are all different angles on the beautiful teaching of salvation. And then redemption. In redemption, the sinner is as a slave and is granted freedom by ransom. And that ransom, oh, such a costly payment made for our souls by the blood of Christ. Then we have sonship. In sonship, the sinner is as a stranger and is made a son. So all these are beautiful angles on salvation. Speaking of us, we are the accused, we are the enemies, we are the debtors, we are the slaves, we are the strangers that God in Christ has brought back and is bringing back to himself. Which leads me to <clears throat> this slide, which tells us about the word reconciliation here in the book of Colossians. It's a different word from the other two times it appears in the Bible. The other two times it is katalasso, but here it is apokatalasso. It's like intensified. Whenever a preposition is added to the front of a word, it intensifies it. So it's super reconciled, thoroughly, completely, totally reconciled. Paul's going the extra mile to let us know that we have been reconciled totally, totally and completely. <clears throat> now, very important when we're talking about salvation and different models of salvation that you realize there is a sense in which it is past, present, and future. In this case, we look at deliverance. We get it all in one verse. This is handy and nice. In many cases, you get it over many chapters. But this is very important to understand regarding salvation, regarding deliverance, regarding atonement. We talked about atonement two weeks ago, right? Romans says we have received the atonement, but we know that we're in the day of what? Atonement. So we've received it, but we're still receiving it. And we haven't fully received it until we're at one with God. So there's a past, a present, and a future tense to atonement also. But here we have in terms of deliverance, 2 Corinthians 1, 9, and 10. We turned to it last time. We won't this time. <clears throat> you can write it down if you want to look at it more later. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us, that is past tense, right? He has delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver. So he has delivered, but he is delivering. In whom we trust that he will still deliver us. See, do you see the three tenses there? And I think we could use that in any one of these terms also. Justified, reconciled, forgiven. We have been forgiven at the cross, but we're forgiven when we confess our sins, right? And, and open them up to God. Not that he doesn't know <clears throat> what they are, but that's when we receive. So there's a sense in which it's forgiven, but then we're forgiven, and then the full forgiveness comes, and the full debt uh, is realized as paid when we're there with Christ in his presence. So 
What do we believe from the book of Colossians? What are we to believe? And this is from chapter 1, verses 23, that area there, 22-23, where in 21 it says, You who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. And of course, God wants to change what? The mind. That's what he's after, the mind. Because when he gets the mind, everything else will come. That's why he says in, second, in uh, Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But verse 21, they were alienated and enemies in their mind by wicked works, yet hath he reconciled. So he has reconciled, but he's still in the business of reconciling. Then verse 22, in the body, how did he reconcile us? Where did he reconcile us? In the body of his flesh through death. Oh, how important that is that Christ took flesh upon himself and became us. And it's there that we find this reconciliation. In the body of his flesh through death, God has reconciled, is reconciling, and will reconcile if, verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith, and that's the believe part of this sermon, grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And he has a purpose for all of this, right? His purpose for all of this reconciling is that he may present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. Amen? That's his purpose. That's the results. That's the fruit of the gospel. And he tells us, believe. Believe and hold on. If you will continue in the faith, I will reconcile you completely and fully. Now, we go to the beware part. And like I say, we do this just briefly here this time and more to come next week. But chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with what? Enticing words, right? Enticing words. Now think about this. How does the devil come after us? Does he come after us? Well, think about the Garden of Eden, right? You have a serpent there, probably a flying serpent. This is probably a powerful being, right? He could have like, used his fangs, right? <laughs> You know, and got him like that. Didn't, he didn't do that. He could have probably wrapped himself around Eve and strangled her. But how did he get to Eve? Through enticing words, right? The great controversy was a polemic. It was about words. It was about ideas. It was about thoughts. That's how the devil gets to us, through enticing words. And <clears throat> especially the young people among us know that there are something called uh, influencers. What a, what a word to use. I mean, that's exactly what they are, right? Social media influencers. And the question is today, who will you allow to influence you? Who will you allow to influence you? There's a lot of influencers out there, but who will you allow to speak to your mind and heart? What are our kids listening to? What are they watching when they're on their computer and when they put their earbuds in? What are we listening to and watching when we do it? Who are you going to allow to influence you? That is so crucial because there are a lot of 
false influencers out there that would take us in another direction. And here it says that it would beguile you. And this is like the guile. It's like fish bait, right? And when you're trying to catch a fish, you put that bait on the hook. And when that fish goes and gets the bait, what else does he get? He gets the hook, right? Don't go for it, right? Don't go for what the world is offering. Don't go for the bait. Christ has something so much better and so much more complete. Don't be beguiled. The book of Revelation talks about the 144,000, and there is no guile found in their mouth. They didn't go for it. They didn't go for the bait. They stayed the course with Christ, their Savior and Lord. And that was a problem with the Colossians. They said, yeah, Christ, we're okay with Christ, but Christ plus many other things, plus the worship of angels, plus ascentism, don't do this, don't do that plus philosophy, our view of God, which isn't found in the Bible, but it's, you know, it's our view of God. Well, it, if it's not the view of the Bible, it's probably a philosophy. And Paul warns against these things. Don't be beguiled by enticing words. Verse five, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. There it is again. Then verse six, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, what does it say next? So walk, right? So as you receive, the same way you received is the same way you walk, amen? And sometimes I think we get the idea that, oh, you know, we receive Christ this way, but then the walk is all on us. No, no, no. <laughs> the same way you received is the same way you walk, amen? With total, complete dependence on Christ. It must be that way. Any other way will be a failure. Rooted, verse 7, and built up in him, established in the faith. There it is again, that great word, that great term. Righteousness, of course, is by faith. The keynote of our message, the three angels' message. Established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, on our bulletin, we have a little, a little gauge, right? We're, we're in a renovation project. By the way, praise the Lord. I don't know that we mention it much, but we are... I didn't actually look at it this morning, but I know that we're somewhere around 300,000, and so it's, uh, God is good, and we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. But what I want to ask you today is, if there was a gauge on your heart for Thanksgiving, where would the level be? How's your Thanksgiving this morning, amen? Because it's so important. I mean, we can grovel over things and we can hold on to things. And what happens? It tears us up. It may hurt the other person somewhat, but it's, it's really hurting us. We have so much to be thankful for as Christians. So much to be thankful for living here in America. And so we're is your life, where is your mind and heart on the Thanksgiving meter this morning? Faith grows with Thanksgiving. Verse eight, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Again, the key, the Colossians said, Christ is good, but we need something more. Paul says, Christ is everything. You don't need anything more. Amen? 
He is our all. And we see him so clearly in his holy word. And so the last great battle is between the traditions of men, the commandments of men, and the commandments of God. Who will you follow? I, I want to follow God. How about you? Let's follow God together and not the traditions of men. Because in Christ, verse 9, all fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells. Or in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete where? In him. You don't need anything else. He is the head of all principality and power. So much more on that, and we've looked at that before, this idea of philosophy and vain deceit of the rudiments of the world and of <clears throat> this idea that we can um, put our thoughts into the word. That's philosophy. That's uh, eisegesis, right? When you, when you come at the word, and I want to put my thoughts into the word versus going to the word and pulling it out. That's exegesis, ek. That's what we want for our lives. The fullness of Christ as found in his holy word. This is the place that we will find it. All right, skip over to verse 18 now. <clears throat> and I'm skipping this passage, which I will look at next time about the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross having spoiled principalities and powers, make a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. All powers, all demonic forces, he has triumphed. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, drink, or in respect to a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, or quite literally, Sabbaths. Speaking of the Sabbath days, which are meat and drink offerings. Now, Paul likely didn't set up the church in Colossae, but he traveled all over the area. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And everywhere he went, whether it was Philippi, whether it was Galatia, he kept the Sabbath holy. Amen? So for, them, for him then to write a letter to Colossians, which he would have passed right through or in that Phrygia, Galatia area, would make no sense at all and would be very counter- uh, Paul to tell them to do something or not do something that he's done his whole life. No, the Sabbath was kept in Eden. It was kept all the way. Jesus kept it. All the disciples, there was never any change in the Sabbath. It was never done away with. And again, more on that next week, but just that little um, bit there. But verse 18, let no man beguile you. There's that word again of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. This was another problem going on in the Colossian church, the worship of angels. As I said, to them, Christ wasn't enough. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands and having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Verse 20, Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why in the world are you living in the world? 
Why are you subject to ordinances? Against ordinances, and here they are. This is assentism. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of who? Of men, right? That's not where we want to be. We want to be in tune with God's commandments. Amen? His holy law written on the hearts. Verse 23, these things have indeed a show of wisdom. Wow, that looks amazing. Look at them dipping in the river. Look at them walking up those stairs, you know, on their knees. Their knees are bleeding. That is such devotion. Look at what Paul says about that. These things have a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, but not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And I would add, not in any honor to the glory of God. Amen? That's not what he's called us to do in our own strength. I love what the book Desire of Ages says regarding this subject. And this is speaking of the time of Christ, Christ's birth. It says that the principle that man can save himself by his own works, again, climbing up those stairs, dipping in the Ganges River in that dirty water, the principle that man can save himself by his own works lay at the foundation of every heathen religion. And in Christ's time, it had also become the principle of the Jewish religion. And unfortunately, sometimes it's still around today. But who implanted that principle? Satan implanted that principle. Wherever it is held, men have no barrier against sin. Isn't that amazing? You would think, well, Boy, I, I mean, you'd think climbing up those steps or, you know, some of that stuff would help them somehow. That's not what it says. No barrier against sin. And I love how E.J. Wagner in 1891 put it. If men could buy righteousness and eternal life, or if they could earn it by hard labor, or even by undergoing torture, Few would be without it. Isn't that amazing? But because they can get it only by complete dependence upon another to whom all the glory and honor must be given, their pride will not let them accept it. Ouch, right? That's, there's, a, there's a Pharisee in every one of us waiting to, <laughs> to arise, right? But Christ says, my way is the way of full dependence, right? We can't depend on ourselves a bit, and we can't give honor and glory to ourselves at all, amen? Salvation is all of him, and all glory must go to him. So here in Colossians, and in these two statements, we see clearly that that is the case. None of this legalistic stuff works None of the quote-unquote liberal stuff, philosophy and so forth works either. But Christ, Christ is all and in you all. All right, our last section now, chapter 3, verse 1 and onward. Chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 and just sort of go down through as we've already looked <clears throat> at them. And of course, this is in the context of no value and stopping indulgence is all this assentism. And Paul says this, if you then, or since you then, are risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are where? Above, right? Keep our eyes above. Not down here. Keep our eyes above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Because if you're in Christ, where are you? Well, where is he? He's at the right hand of God. Our eyes, our focus should be there and there alone. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. What are your affections set on? That's a big question, isn't it? Where are your affections? What do you love, right? Because we've got these two garments, and we'll go into this a little more, but do you just put this one on because, well, I'm supposed to put it on. I really want to put this one on. Let's see, what time is Sabbath over? I want this one on, but... Well, all right, I'll put this one on right now. That's not what God wants, amen? (laughs) He wants us to delight in his will. That's what Jesus did, Psalms 40, verse 8. He delighted to do the will of the Father. Come on, say amen if that's good news. It's a joy to serve Christ in the freedom with which he has set us free. Stand fast in the freedom where Christ has set us free, and we stand only by faith. In this freedom, there is no trace of bondage. It is perfect liberty. It is liberty of soul, liberty of thought, as well as liberty of action. It is not that we are simply given the ability to keep the law or to put on that white garment, but we are given the mind that finds delight in doing it. The soul is as free as a bird soaring above the mountaintops. It is the glorious liberty of the children of God who have the full range of the breadth and length and depth and height of God's universe. It is the liberty of those who do not have to be watched, right? But who can be trusted anywhere since their every step is but the movement of God's own holy law. Why be content with bondage where there is such limitless freedom that is yours? The prison doors are open. Walk out into God's freedom. That was written in 1900 by E.J. Wagner, and that's God's call to us today. Walk out in freedom. Set your mind on the things above Verse 4, where Christ, or when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you also shall appear with him in glory. And then verse 5 says to mortify or kill, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth. Now, we're not talking about literal, you know, pluck out your eye. Please don't. (laughs) Let's not go there, right? But it's talking about something real. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry, or covetousness, which is idolatry. And these are kind of all mingled all together, too, when you think about it, because think about idolatry in the Old Testament. I don't think it was so much the piece of wood that they worshipped that they were so into, They wanted to do all the other stuff that was associated with idolatry, right? Which was, you know, not good. Um, Licentiousness, 
you name it. Uh, sexual immorality, that was all associated with, that's what they were doing up on those high places. Uh, yeah, they were worshiping that piece of wood, but they wanted this lifestyle that went along with it. And Paul says, kill those things. Well, how do I, how do I kill those things? Well, don't feed them, <laughs> right? Starve them. And all of it is in the power of God, right? It is the same way you receive Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. Verse 6, for which things, the things he just talked about, or because of these things, sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Make no mistake about it, there is a wrath of God that comes upon the children of disobedience. But I tell you, our God is a wonderful, loving God, amen? I wouldn't want the judgment in anybody else's hands but his. He is going to do it perfectly. Um, justice and mercy are joined together. And uh, our wonderful God will do just what is right in every situation. We can be totally sure of that. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you, pursue you all the days of your life. Verse seven. In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. Talking about these things, the, the list of things prior to. So it says, you lived in them, but you don't live there anymore. Amen? <laughs> you got a new address, right? Have you ever taken a Bible study card or whatever? You go to somebody's house and you knock and, oh, no, they don't live here anymore. Well, that's what Christ is saying about you. Amen? You don't live here anymore. You don't live in this garment anymore. You live here. You've got a new address. Come on and say amen. There's a new life style that comes with the life that Christ gave us. And that's what he's calling us to. If Christ within us doesn't change anything in our life for holiness, then what actually is taking place? You don't live there anymore. You've got a new address and says put off. And here's where we close with some thoughts here, but we've, we've still got a little bit. Um, so he goes on to say this, verse eight, but now, but now you also put off all of these. Anger, this is that smoldering, you know, you're not, you know, maybe it's almost a passive aggressive thing where I, you know, I'd like to get you, but I'm not gonna get you, but I'm gonna get you, <laughs> right? And you're gonna know I got you, but I'm not really gonna show that I got you. Well, Christ says, put that off, amen? <laughs> put off that anger and put off wrath. That's where it's just full blown. Nothing passive about this. I'm gonna get you. He says, put that off. That's not the spirit. That's that old, filthy garment. Put it off. Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put those things off. That's not you anymore. You got a new address. You got a new garment you're wearing. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then verse 11 says this, where there is neither, the one where him created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, 
Barbarian, Scythian. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And oh, what a difference when Christ takes over a life. Amen? When Christ takes over a church. Amen? Slave and free come together. Some have said that <clears throat> the letter to Philemon, Paul's one, you can read it this afternoon, it's just one little chapter, is the most astounding social document ever written because Paul says, look, Philemon, you know your slave, Onesimus. He ran away. He ran away to Rome. He was a prisoner in Rome. Guess what? I met him in Rome. Now he's a converted brother of yours. He's no longer a slave. He's your brother in Christ. Treat him that way. Slave and free are one in Christ. Not only are circumcised and uncircumcised, Greek and Jew, slave and free, but maybe the most dramatic are the Scythians. And if you haven't read anything about them, then you'll be interested, I think, in this. I thought it was interesting. They're not really two different kinds of people, barbarian and Scythian. They're kind of two grades of the same people, except the Scythian are by far worse barbarians than the barbarians. They're more barbaric. They were the most uncultured barbarians the world of that day knew. Herodotus, historian, gives an account of their invasion of the Fertile Crescent. Listen to a description of them. They invaded Asia after they had driven out the Sumerians out of Europe. They made themselves masters of Asia. They ruled for 28 years, and all the land was wasted by reason of their violence and their arrogance. What were their warlike features? Well, this is amazing to me. This is a description of how they operated. The Scythians drank the blood of the first enemy killed in battle and made napkins of the scalps and drinking bowls of the skulls of the slain. That's pretty barbaric, I would say. They had the most filthy habits and never washed with water, so says historian Tortullian. How many of you would like to have a neighbor like that? How many of you have a neighbor like that? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. The Scythians delighted in murdering people and are little better than wild beasts, Josephus tells us. So Scythians now are part of the group, amen? Because they're converted. Now, might there be a little trepidation when you first saw a Scythian? Maybe so, right? But God says we're all one. And you can imagine that the gospel made its deepest impressions upon the pagan world in this way. Look at them. What is a Scythian doing teaching Sabbath school to all those Greeks? All of them became one in Christ. It destroyed the barriers that were built on race, culture, and social things. It was astounding what happened, and it happens today, amen? We are all one in Christ. It's an incredible thing. And Christ does it. As we come together in him, he makes us one. And all those things are wiped away. We don't even recognize race or, or different things, right? It, it just it falls by the wayside in Christ because we're all on a team together for a mission, amen? And that mission is to glorify Christ taking this last day message to a world in such desperate and daily need. Close with a story that illustrates this from 
202 AD in the arena of Carthage, modern-day Tunisia. It was a Roman province or colony at the time. There was a profound display of this oneness in Christ, the oneness of free and bond, rich and poor, all kind of wrapped up into one. You see, there in that arena, there were spectators, and they were watching the slaughter of certain Christians, like a show or like a ball game or something. They're just watching this as if it's a sport. When something amazing happened, a certain poor slave named Felicitas was getting ready to be executed. But before it could happen, a very wealthy, high-class person came forth holding the hand of the poor slave. You see, this prominent lady, a Roman citizen, by the way, named Perpetua, was the owner of this slave. But she was now more than the owner. She was her friend and her sister. They were fellow Christians in Christ. Well, as the story goes, this Roman patron, Perpetua, holding the hand of her slave, Felicitas, firmly, as both women faced a common death for a common love of Jesus Christ. This illustrates what Christianity did and what Christianity is doing and what Christianity will do in our hearts as we let it. Where slave and master died together for the same love of Christ. You see, barriers came down because they were new people. They were new men, new women in Christ. And they make up one new man, capital M. Iron curtains, prison bars, color, sex, class distinction, nope, national and cultural differences. They don't mean anything when the grace of Christ has broken those down and made us one. Grace bridges the chasm. And how does Paul sum it up? Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And if he's in all, then we're all equal. And as the saying says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's the key. Christ is all and in all. Christ, the powerful creator, Christ, the all-sufficient Lord and Savior, Christ, the only mediator and our faithful high priest, Christ, the all-sufficient King, Christ, the one in whom all things hold together, the Christ that dwells and indwells all believers. And because he indwells us, he erases all those differences race, culture, social levels, and he makes us one new man or many new men and women in one new man. Well, Christ is calling us to this, amen? And that is where this oneness is found, not this. If we're gonna keep this on, we'll have nothing but problems, right? <laughs> with one another and with ourselves and with God. But Christ says, I died that you might have this, this spotless robe woven in the loom of heaven without one thread of your human devising. It's all of him and it's all yours to be accepted today. Let's pray as we close. 
Father, there may be some who have never put on or fully taken that beautiful robe of your clean, spotless righteousness. Lord, of that perfect life and that sacrificial death that you wrought out for us. And so, Lord, if anybody is in that condition today, I pray that they might accept you as their personal Savior and that all these other things may be gone. Anger, wrath, malice. Oh, Lord, take those things away. And you do take them away. If we'll just put on that new garment, you work with us in taking those things away for eternity. Lord, there may be others of us that are Christians today, but we've been wearing the wrong robe. Too much. And the world looks and they're not sure what we are. Oh, Lord, forgive us for that kind of a witness. And Lord, we want to do better. And the only way we can do better is if you come and dwell in our hearts and minds. Give us that new robe. Lord, we don't want to wear that old filthy thing anymore. And so take away those things of the flesh. We mortify them. We ask you to kill them in the name of Christ. Those things that would take away from your glory and from our witness to a world which is in such need. And so thank you, Father, for this book. There are also many things we're to put on, and we'll be studying those next week. But in the meantime, Lord, work out your will and your way in our life on a daily and minute-by-minute basis. And we're so thankful that Christ is all and in us all. In Jesus' name, amen.